Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. In his second State of the Union address, President Biden laid out priorities for his next two years in the White House. We'll give you a recap of his speech, plus reactions from lawmakers and former President Trump. The Pentagon today responds to China's claim that the downed spy balloon was actually a civilian weather balloon. And Secretary of State Antony Blinken explains the next steps in the U.S.'s handling of the situation. Lawmakers ask former Twitter executives about their roles in suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story. Now that everything is said and done, the former executives say it was a mistake. And Biden slammed tech companies' data harvesting and anti-competitive practices last night. We bring you analysis from the Internet Accountability Project. The president's 75-minute address to the nation and Congress has met with mixed reactions. He focused primarily on domestic issues and interacted directly with Republicans who took umbrage at his comments. Here's NTD's Melina Wisecup with a recap from the night. Though bruised, our democracy remains unbowed and unbroken. That's President Biden's current assessment of the state of the nation, although some tell us they're not convinced. It seemed like there were two State of the Unions. It seemed like President Biden couldn't decide whether or not he wanted to uh, send a message of unity or attack Republicans because he seemed to talk about both in the same breath. President Biden accused Republicans of trying to cut programs like Social Security and Medicare, a comment that received immediate interruptions from Republicans. Here's a look. I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant... But it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. Look, folks, we're we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond. Folks. Now, I have asked several Republicans about this issue specifically. They tell me that they have no intentions of cutting these programs. These comments from President Biden come after Speaker McCarthy publicly clarified that cutting those programs is off the table as he and President Biden work to reach a deal on raising that $31.4 trillion debt ceiling. Now, as for the pandemic, Biden says COVID has lost its grip on the nation, praising his leadership in that recovery. Look to the government. We're going to solve your problems. The problem is we should never turn to the government to solve the problems that the government created. Taxing the wealthy is one partisan proposal that Biden made last night, along with some other divisive topics such as abortion access and proposing a ban on so-called assault weapons. But he also pitched some areas of unity, such as efforts to fight cancer and providing for veterans, also uh, handling big tech and data privacy. President Biden is reaching out to the big middle of this country, the 65, 75, 85 percent of Americans who don't think our differences are too big to bridge as a country who understand that there's a reservoir of common sense and decency in the American body politic and who want us to work together. The president also vowed to stop the flow of fentanyl at the southern border by investing in more detection machines. And as for foreign affairs, the president only had these few sentences to say about China. I'm committed to work with China where we can advance American interests and benefit the world. But make no mistake about it. As we made clear last week, if China threatens our sovereignty, We will act to protect our country, and we did. 
Democrats this week have prayed the Biden administration's handling of that Chinese surveillance balloon, while Republicans have decried what they call the administration's delayed action. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. And President Biden today reacting to GOP heckles during last night's State of the Union address. This as the White House begins a travel blitz to tout the economy. NTD's Iris Tao has more. President Biden continues his campaign to tout the economy, traveling on Wednesday to the battleground state of Wisconsin. Folks, I hate to disappoint them, but the Biden economic plan is working. It's working. That comes just a day after his State of the Union address, which focused heavily on domestic issues like the economy and what he calls his major achievements. Inflation has fallen every month for the last six months. And some see the address as a soft launch of his re-election bid, as he promised to finish the job. We're not finished yet by any stretch of the imagination. We're just getting started. The Wisconsin trip marks the beginning of what the White House calls a post-State of the Union economic travel blitz. It'll feature events by Biden and his cabinet in over 20 states. And that's as Biden's already started to openly tease his re-election bid to DNC supporters. I intend to get it done, more done. So let me ask you a simple question. Are you with me? But some Republicans are apparently not buying Biden's message. Well, I'm glad to see you. And Biden responded to the heckles on Wednesday by saying this. They seem shocked. Reminds me of liar, liar, house on fire, yeah. Meanwhile, other potential 2024 contenders are also reacting to Biden's State of the Union speech. Former President Trump, who's declared his run, contrasts Biden's message with a different take on the economy. Here's the real State of the Union. Real wages are down 21 months in a row. Gas prices have soared and are now going up much higher than even before. And former ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, reacts by saying America deserves better than Joe Biden. Haley's expected to announce her 2024 presidential bid in just a week. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. Today, Secretary of State Antony Blinken and the Pentagon both commented on the Chinese spy balloon, which was recently shot down. Meanwhile, a new study says that most Americans think the government mishandled the balloon situation. A Chinese spy balloon was shot down over U.S. territory last weekend. The Chinese Communist Party previously called it a civilian weather balloon and said it drifted off course. Today, the Pentagon responded to those claims. I can assure you this was not for civilian purposes. That, that is, we are 100% clear about that. Based on what we know and have observed about this balloon, it is a surveillance balloon. It was an intelligence collection capability. He added that any responsible nation would have warned other nations if a weather balloon really had drifted off course. The U.S. is now collecting parts of the balloon which crashed into the sea. Sea states Tuesday permitted divers and explosives ordnance technicians to conduct underwater salvage and recovery and underwater survey activities continue using unmanned underwater vehicles. Also on Wednesday, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with NATO's Secretary General in D.C. Blinken said they discussed the next steps regarding the balloon. There is an ongoing operation to recover the balloon's components. Uh, we're analyzing them to learn more about the surveillance program. We'll pair that with what we learned from the uh, balloon itself, what we learned from the balloon itself, with what we gleaned based on our careful observation of the system when it was in our airspace, as the president directed his team to do. Now, we'll also share relevant findings with Congress as well as with our allies and partners around the world. Also on Wednesday, the Trafalgar Group and the Convention of States Action released a study about Americans' opinions on the balloon. 
When asked, do you believe President Biden should have taken quicker action to shoot down the Chinese spy balloon before it even entered U.S. sovereign airspace? Nearly 59 percent of people surveyed said yes. And 59 percent say America's handling of the situation made the U.S. look weak on the world stage. More Democrats than Republicans were surveyed for this poll, according to data provided. And multiple congressional staffers have confirmed to the Epic Times that lawmakers on Capitol Hill will be briefed tomorrow morning on the Chinese spy balloon. A message attributed to the GOP conference claims the meeting will be bipartisan and members only, and that the information will be highly classified. At least five officials will help brief Congress, including three from the Defense Department. And staying on Capitol Hill, three former Twitter executives were in the hot seat today. Lawmakers asking them tough questions about their roles in the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story. NTD's Jason Perry has more. The House Committee on Oversight and Accountability held its second hearing in two days. This one on Twitter's suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story. Three former Twitter executives and one former Twitter safety policy team member testified at the hearing. Here's one of the former executives. In 2020, Twitter noticed activity related to the laptop that, at first glance, bore a lot of similarities to the 2016 Russian hack and leak operation targeting the DNC. And we had to decide what to do. And in that moment, with limited information, Twitter made a mistake. Under the distribution of hacked material policy, the company decided to prevent links to the New York Post stories about the laptop from being shared across the service. Representative James Comer responded to Roth's claim that it was a mistake. In reality, the Twitter executives were hostile towards conservatives and biased towards anyone who opposed their points of view. For example, Mr. Roth, did you write this tweet? I regret the language that I used in some of my former tweets, but yes, I did post that. And I'll read the tweet so it's in the record. Yes, that person in the pink hat is clearly a bigger threat to your brand of feminism than actual Nazis in the White House. Mr. Roth, do you think all conservatives are Nazis? Certainly not, sir. One of the reasons Republicans were concerned about the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story is because they say it could have changed the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Representative Pat Fallon pointed out alleged political bias as he said 98% of Twitter employees donated to Democratic candidates or causes in the 2020 election cycle. The Media Research Center polled Democratic voters in 2020 swing states and found that 17% would have changed their vote if they had known the contents and evidence of the New York Post story. President Trump lost key states, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Wisconsin by collectively just over 100,000 votes. And if this is accurate, this poll, 3.2 million votes could have swung. And he only needed a teeny fraction of those 3.2 million. That decision almost certainly changed the result of the 2020 presidential election. Representative Jasmine Crockett added this. MAGA Republicans can't let go. That should be the name of this hearing. I'm glad that seemingly we have now accepted that President Joe Biden won the election, even though now we are blaming... Um, President Trump's loss on Twitter. Can we finally let it go? This is why Democrats are reinforcing that in this hearing, we should be talking about the threats to our democracy. That's the real threat, not an old article that seemingly couldn't reach the viewership it sought through its own platform to disparage and attempt to skew the election in favor of a twice impeached former president who lost a secure and fair election. Jason Perry, NTD News. 
And in last night's State of the Union address, President Biden said it's time to pass bipartisan legislation to stop tech companies from collecting personal data on kids and teenagers. He also said he wants to ban targeted advertising to children and impose stricter limits on all the personal data those companies collect. Earlier today, I spoke with the Internet Accountability Project's founder and president, Mike Davis, for his analysis. Mike Davis, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, last night, Biden called on Congress to rein in tech companies. What do you make of his rallying call? I don't agree with President Biden on uh, just about anything except for his bipartisan antitrust proposals and appointments uh, related to uh, antitrust. We absolutely need to come together as a country, Republicans and Democrats, and rein in big tech's gatekeeping power over information and commerce. Google, Amazon, Facebook and Apple have too much power. They use their monopoly power to crush competition, shutter small businesses and cancel conservatives and others with whom they disagree. And this is a rare bipartisan closing window of opportunity for Republicans and Democrats to come together and finally do something about that. And that is bipartisan antitrust enforcement and reforms. Now, Biden has already made some progress on this front, appointing some of the industry's toughest critics to key regulatory roles. But observers say that this speech could signal a watershed moment. What's your take? I think this speech was directed at uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the Democrat from New York. The problem is, is that Chuck Schumer has been talking a big game like many politicians do in Congress, Republican and Democrat, but when it comes down to actually doing something about it, they're not doing something about it. Uh, the problem, I think, is Chuck Schumer takes too much of big tech's money. One of his daughters apparently is a lobbyist for big tech. The other one works for big tech. Uh, it's time for Chuck Schumer to uh, to put up or shut up. And it's time for him to support bipartisan antitrust reforms. The reason they didn't pass the Senate last Congress is Chuck Schumer held them up. And I think President Biden coming forward in his State of the Union address and making this a, a focus is a signal to Chuck Schumer. It's time for Chuck Schumer to get the heck out of the way. And so do you think that we're likely to see more progress now? I think we are. I mean, we already are seeing progress with uh, Jonathan Cantor, the head of the, the antitrust division at the Justice Department. It is the one part of the Biden Justice Department that is actually functioning properly. And uh, uh, the Internet Accountability Project supported Jonathan Cantor's nomination to this position, and he won bipartisan support. And he's already filed two lawsuits against Google, one against Google's search monopoly and one against recently against Google's online advertising monopoly. And if, if they can win either or both of those lawsuits, it's going to go a long way into breaking up Google's gatekeeping power over information and commerce. Now, major tech companies are among the top lobbying spenders in Washington, but they've shown that they won't take these changes without a fight. Running aggressive TV and social media campaigns last year against antitrust legisl legislation do you think this next election cycle could impact Congress's efforts to pass stricter rules? Uh, definitely. This is uh, there. There's going to there are people inside of Washington, the lobbyists, uh, the swamp, who absolutely do not want to break up big tech. They like the status quo. They're making a lot of money off of the status quo. 
And th these bipartisan antitrust reforms do not have popular support within the swamp, but they have overwhelming popular support out in the real world, real Americans in the real world. And I hope it does become a presidential issue because Google, Amazon, Facebook and Apple are going to lose this political fight. And finally, the House Oversight Committee is hosting a hearing today on Twitter's content moderation decisions in the run-up to the 2020 election. Especially lawmakers will be asking questions about Twitter's decision to censor content about Hunter Biden's laptop. What are your thoughts on these proceedings? Uh, I am very impressed with House Oversight Chairman James Comer. He's doing great work. He got off to a running start. Uh, it is clearly, it's clearly a First Amendment violation for government to work with private actors to censor Americans. The bigger issue here is the reason the government can collude with these big tech monopolists to censor Americans is because they're monopolists. It's easy for government to choke the neck of monopolists. That is another reason why we have to break up big tech. There is no, there is no way that YouTube would have censored Senator Rand Paul, a medical doctor, over his COVID thoughts if Google competed with YouTube instead of acquired YouTube. We need to break up big tech, have them compete for users. They're not going to censor users if they're competing for them. Great. Thank you so much for your thoughts. Mike Davis, founder and president of the Internet Accountability Project. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And in other tech-related news, the popular video conferencing service Zoom is the latest to join the growing list of companies in layoffs. Zoom's CEO is also cutting his salary. San Jose-based Zoom said on Tuesday it would cut about 1,300 jobs, or about 15 percent, as demand for the company's video conferencing services slows amid the waning pandemic. The company's shares, which fell 63 percent last year, closed up 9.9 percent on the news, but were down marginally in extended trading. In a statement, Zoom CEO Eric Yuan said he would take a pay cut of 98% for the coming fiscal year and forgo his bonus. He said, we worked tirelessly, but also made mistakes. We didn't take as much time as we should have to thoroughly analyze our teams or assess if we were growing sustainably toward the highest priorities. The video conferencing software maker also said that its executive leadership team will reduce their base salary by 20% in the same period. Departing employees will receive 16 weeks of salary, health care coverage, and a bonus for the year. Zoom joins the list of U.S. companies like eBay, Dell, PayPal, IBM, and Cisco that have laid off thousands this year to ride out a demand downturn due to high inflation and rising interest rates. And remember, if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. We value your comments and suggestions. Coming up, the latest on the massive earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. More than 12,000 deaths have been confirmed. Rescue efforts are continuing. And in the NBA, LeBron James became the league's all-time leading scorer last night and has a chance to put the record out of reach. And TD's Dave Martin has the story. That and more after this short break. Relief efforts entered the third day after two massive earthquakes struck southern Turkey and neighboring Syria. The death toll is now more than 12,000. 
In Turkey, the quakes claimed over 8,500 lives so far and knocked down some 6,400 buildings. Another 50,000 people were injured. The initial tremor was the most destructive the country has seen in decades. Hospitals, airports and roads all suffered severe damage. Residents have complained of insufficient resources and slow emergency response. Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan made his first visit to the affected areas today. He admitted there were some problems with the government's early response. According to Turkish authorities, more than 13 million people have been impacted by the earthquakes. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. LeBron James is now the NBA's all-time leading scorer. Known as the King, LeBron scored 38 in last night's loss to Oklahoma City to move past Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the most ever points with 38,390. When that shot went in and, and the, the roar from the, from the crowd, um, I, I'm not sure if I would be able to feel that feeling again. James, who entered the game 36 points behind the mark, said he was pretty motivated to secure the record that evening with his family in attendance. I would have had to pay for another room and a hotel for another night for my boys <laughs> if I didn't do it tonight. The 38-year-old may be able to put the record out of reach. Signed through 2025, James is currently 7th in the league in scoring at just over 30 points a game. By contrast, Kareem was 42 when he scored his final basket while averaging a career-low 10 points per game. James, though, who entered the league roughly four years younger, is still in his prime and should pass the 40,000-point mark next season. Meanwhile, among current players, only 34-year-old Kevin Durant is among the top 30 all-time in scoring, but at 26,000-plus points, it's a long shot he even catches Kareem. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has nine games planned, including a Mavs-Clippers matchup, which is reportedly going to be Kyrie Irving's debut with Dallas. Irving's trade from Brooklyn was finalized Monday night as he'll team with Luka Doncic going forward. And in the college game, eight ranked teams are in action tonight, including the Alabama Crimson Tide, who are still undefeated in conference play, hosting Florida. And finally, for you hockey fans, not much going on. Just two games tonight, a Canucks-Rangers matchup at Madison Square Garden, plus a Dallas-Minnesota clash in the Lone Star State. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And finally, Shen Yun Performing Arts recently arrived in Cleveland, Ohio. Audience members tell NTD they're moved by the show's message. Awesome, outstanding, opulent, more than I expected. Shin Yoon came to Cleveland, Ohio this past weekend. Many said they were impressed by the beauty of the performance. I didn't realize everybody would be as fluid and as balanced, and the costumes were beautiful. The movie projector in the background with the way the actors came in and out of the screen were seamless. It's very enlightening and um, beautiful as well. Yeah, the, the color really tells the story. When we're talking about evil, we're seeing red. And when we're talking about light and purity, we're seeing yellows and pastels. So I think it's the colors are very evocative of emotion. Uh, and uh, I think the, the designer of the show did a great job with cost, the costume designer. Very good. 
Audience members appreciated China's 5,000 years of divinely inspired culture that Shen Yun portrays. The traditional uh, Chinese culture and how relevant it is for the world today to see that, the desire of beauty, of the dance, of the music, of the color, of the strength of the culture, and the, and, and the, the desire of the religious and search for spiritual uh, awareness as well. Very powerful. Uh, I was surprised to hear that these performances are banned in China. I feel bad for the Chinese people that they can't appreciate all that these dancers and artists brought to our country. Uh, perhaps someday that will change. And uh, it was very informative about the history of China as well. Shen Yun also shines a light on persecution that's going on under the Chinese communist regime, including organ harvesting. It was informative. I think all the Americans should support as many causes as they can to uh, bring freedom and civil rights back to China. I think there's a, a strong desire worldwide for people to explore their uh, religious freedom. And I think it, this uh, Shen Yun really showcases that desire of the heart. NTD News, Cleveland, Ohio. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.